Why, hello! Welcome back to the Pure and Simple Bible Podcast. This is Jonathan Edwards, and I'm so thankful that you're with me again and that you're joining in and listening to a great Bible conversation between two people. Again, it's myself and Bradley Ballard here in episode number 134, the second part in a mini-series called What I Believe. I asked you this question last week, and I want to ask it again. If you had a conversation with someone who had never heard about Jesus before, what would you tell them? Where would you begin and where would you want to go? It, it really is easy to think that this would never happen to me. We always think, well, there's going to be somebody who can step in and, and talk to these people who's knowledgeable and have the experience. And I would suggest to you that you are that person. And whether you have been trained on it or not, you have been called for such a time as this. Now, you can listen to the life of Bradley Ballard, which will serve as an inspirational reminder that not all evangelists start out as paid preachers. He has over a decade of experience in planting churches on three different, in three different countries on two different continents. I had to figure out continent and country real quick. But Bradley's ability to talk to non-believers and sow the seed of the gospel in their heart is a precious talent. And not only does he want to share it with you, but we want to give it to you as motivation and inspiration so that you will share the gospel and have these conversations because we are living in a global civilization more than we ever have before. And the chances of you interacting with someone who's never heard of the Bible or about God is a lot higher than maybe it has been in times past. Now, in this second study, we're going to return to the what I believe conversation that Bradley likes to have with non-believers. We're going to talk about the first set of beliefs, that is, three beliefs, and Bradley will explain each one and then show evidence from the Bible as to why this is a great place to start when trying to win the heart and mind of someone who's never heard about the gospel before. And so, let's jump back into this great conversation. But let's circle back to that first one. You said, God created me. Uh, why do you start with that? And, and what are some scriptures that you looked into that, that helped affirm that belief? One of the reasons I think it's so important to start with God created me is because it introduces people to God, this supreme being. When you talk about him being able to create, you're introducing them to his power. Mm-hmm. And then when you say he created me, you're creating a, a connection or you're uh, introducing them to this connection that we have with God. It sounds like the first verse in the Bible. It's almost as though Genesis 1-1 <laughs> is a quite an intentional verse by design. That's exactly right. And that's the reason why it's the first one I have here where it says, in the beginning, God created the, heaven, the heavens and the earth. And I, I've heard a really interesting point that the very first verse of the Bible um, introduces all of the uh, the main forces in, in nature uh, in the beginning. God created heaven and earth. You have time. You have mm-hmm. uh, locate. You have all these. It's, it's a big verse. Anyway, um, but yeah, that statement is made very plainly in the very beginning of God's Word. The next verse I have here is one that puts things in a very visual and physical uh, 
way that I can relate to, but Psalms 102 verse 25 says, Of old you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. Mm -hmm. There's this very, very real sense in which God is like a master craftsman, and he has and designer, and he has orchestrated and designed something that's intricate and beautiful and delicate, but robust, but, you know, just very, very detailed. And um, we get to be a part of that. We are part of that. And mm -hmm. we are, in fact, uh, you know, we are kind of the final piece of that. You know, we, uh, it, and it's a privilege to be that, but it's important that we recognize yeah. from where we came. Yeah. Before you read Romans 1, I know that that's your third scripture. I'm trying to think about my time in Southeast Asia, and I don't, I'm unfamiliar with the Buddhism of South Korea, but I know that uh, the Buddhism of Cambodia was, was, let me throw out some words here, but uh, <laughs> it was a Theravada form of Buddhism, and that the Mahayana form, which is more popular in China, perhaps that may be oh. also what's in South Korea, but Theravada was, was uh, a, a more difficult form and they call it the smaller vehicle. And then Mahayana was easier, and it's the greater vehicle. And, and there's a lot more Mahayana Buddhists. But I think about them, uh, just the theory of behind Buddhism, and that there is no beginning. And so you, right off the bat in this very first point, even though it's been non-confrontational, you have really rocked my world, if I'm in this part of the world. You have rocked my world by telling me that there was a beginning and that this creation force comes from a being who then makes everything and that that uh, there wasn't just an endless cycle of life. Um, Buddhists that I'm familiar with, really, that's not the big question. Where does it all come from? Uh -huh. And yet you're now making me confront that because I see reality around me and I see that things have a beginning and an end. I see a, a, a plant is the, it, the seeds put in the ground, it comes up, it bears fruit, it dies down. I see that with humans, everything seems to have this beginning and end cycle. And here you are presenting it to me as uh, by design or intentionality. Mm -hmm. And so anyway, I, I'm just thinking and for our audience's sake, there's a lot going on in my mind uh, as you share these verses. If you are one of those people, or even you know, you and I sitting here, this very first point could lead, it could dominate the day. Right. And the conversations could, because the impact of this and the implications of me stating God created me, mm -hmm. they could be very intrigued, they could be very defensive, you don't know. But I think one thing that's important, at least I've found this to be helpful, is I'm just telling you what I believe. Right. That's all that I'm doing. Right. Um just by nature that I'm not saying you're right or wrong. I'm just telling you what I believe. And some might say, well, if you're saying that's right, then you're saying I'm wrong. Sometimes yes, sometimes no. But even that, you know, that's going to be a, a, that tells you what your next conversation is right. going to be. And if you handle this all the right way, I think if we demonstrate a spirit of love and concern for them, uh, you know, the person we're speaking with, this could be, you know, something that we continue on with. And we say, well, let's keep talking about, mm -hmm. you know, once that first two hours is up, because it very likely, very possibly could extend beyond what you have time for or what you maybe realize it would. Uh, if you say, I'd like to tell you more about what I believe, or I'd like to know what you believe. Mm -hmm. 
then you've got more time with them, hopefully. Yeah, hopefully absolutely. Greg Kokel, maybe I've made this point with you. I've probably made it in the past. But Greg Kokel wrote a book called Tactics. And he's, um, I don't know. I love that book. Do you? Okay, good. Yeah, one of the things that Greg, I don't know everything about Greg's faith, so take it for what that's worth. But Greg talks about the value of putting a pebble in the shoe, right? And that we, and I had a great conversation. People need to go to my podcast page and find the the talk I had with Bob Cunningham on personal evangelism. It's phenomenal. Bob did amazing. And one of the points he brings out is that we got to get away from the idea of a high stakes conversation, like a salesman. Uh You've got to close the sale. Right, yeah. You've got to introduce yourself, find out what they need, close the sale. And, And in Christianity... Um, there are times in the book of Acts, like in Acts chapter 2, when after a sermon or a Bible study, a lot of people obey the gospel. But I would suggest there are just as many times where it took Paul more than one sermon. Uh-huh. And we don't emphasize those He a would lot. stay in the, you know, he would go every week to right. the synagogue, you know. Right. Yeah, it wasn't just one right. fail swoop. And so, you know, all of this info that I'm suggesting and sharing with is that I need to have the mindset that it's okay to, to talk about one point. God created us, and that might end up being a two-hour conversation or maybe just a five-minute conversation. But if I can put that metaphoric pebble in their shoe, then they're going to be walking around for the rest of the day or the rest of the week until you see them again, yeah. thinking about created, beginning, God it seems like that would be more productive than trying to close the deal and get them baptized mm-hmm. um, in a five-minute conversation. Yeah, I'm not de-emphasizing baptism, right? No, I think what you're doing is emphasizing the importance of us all being there. You know, not being the only person this, only one this person can come to. Putting that mm-hmm. pebble in their shoe, but then all of us, you know, from the from the smallest member of the body up to the largest, whatever that means. Um, being able to make these things clear to people so that person can be exposed to it, not just for me. It's not. It's only high stakes if they can only get it from me. Right. But if they can get it from other people, then, uh, you know, and if we support each other in that way, there's a, not only is there, uh, is that vital, but it's also, I think, a real, uh, oh, I don't want to say tool of conversion, but it, it makes an impact on people when, you are presenting them with this seemingly outlandish concept and then they find out, wait, someone else b- believes that. And now here's someone else. And the more people they hear it from, as long as it's shared rationally and reasonably and lovingly, that can really affect someone when they realize they're not, it, it, it's not as strange yeah. or uh, yeah. unique as maybe they thought. What do you do in a culture where you are the only one they meet, though? Does that make the stakes higher, or do you, how do you how do you defer the stakes so that you don't take it so personally? <laughs> um, well, I think I guess for time's sake, I'll just boil it down to I think consistency. Um, and I think you and I have talked about this before, maybe even here in your studio. But when you tell people you believe something, if you don't act on that. Mm-hmm. If they, if, whether it's, uh, well, for example, just recently, uh, I was, made a new friend uh, out in East Texas, and we were sitting at my brother's dinner table, and he is actively, he and his wife are actively searching for a place that follows the Bible, and there, he said, you probably just think of me as a church hopper. I said, no, sir. I said, it sounds like you're searching. 
you're not just going for a place that gives you what you want, but you're trying to find a place that worships the way the Bible says and believes what the Bible says. And he mentioned a couple of places that he went. I won't say the, the denomination or the orientation of that place, but he said that when asked about what they believe, whenever he had basically the head pastor, one-on-one, just sitting there talking over the pastor's desk, um, he was told in a couple of situations, well, those are more just guidelines or it's 92% this or that. Already, they were backpedaling on convictions and not acting on what they taught and what they said they believed mm-hmm. or what the denomination as a whole claims to believe. Mm-hmm. And so if you do that to people, you have instantly lost credibility. Yeah. No, no, the Lord has lost credibility. You're, you're diminishing the Lord's credibility. We are. I am. Mm-hmm. Whenever I say, yeah, I believe that, but I'm not really going to do it. Mm-hmm. You might say, oh, no, that just diminishes your example. Well, no, if I do that, then clearly the Lord's not worth following. God's not worth believing in. Yeah. If, if someone who is getting, you know, is supposed to know what he's doing and what he's talking about, if he's not following, then uh, why would I be willing to change anything about my life? Yeah. My life is okay. Why would I want to change it to what this guy, this foreigner is telling me if God's not really worth following? So consistency and I don't mean just doing the same thing over and over again. I mean consistency of thought and, and action. Sure. Convic- sure. Uh, of conviction and action. If you say you believe something, then we have to act on it. Yeah. And if we don't, we are uh, doing a tremendous disservice to the gospel. I'm, I'm probably paraphrasing the scripture, but what you said just made me think of Jesus again rebuking the Pharisees by saying, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You tie up heavy loads on men's backs, and then you refuse to lift a finger to help yourself. Uh-huh. And so, yeah, you're if you are sharing convictions with others that's challenging their worldview, but then later you you don't substantiate it in your life, then that's going to be a, a huge turnoff to the gospel. Now, you have Romans one eighteen through twenty one. Do you want to share that as well? I do, and you know, I I don't know exactly how it translates reading, you know, longer passages of scripture on the podcast like this. But I think this is a huge one and we're going to mention it again later. Okay. Um, So I would like to read Romans 1, uh, 18 through 21. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen. There again, talking about creation and who it was Mm -hmm. uh, that did it. And I love this idea of his invisible attributes being clearly seen. Mm -hmm. There's evidence all around us that we are created, that there was an intelligent designer and loving designer and creator. Uh, It's all around us. And yet sometimes... We dismiss it or yeah. don't recognize it. Um, so his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. That's a scary thought, man. Yeah. <laughs> the thought that my... or the, the, To recognize that if I and ignoring the evidence all around me of God's creative power, um, 
that I can be so I can be so become so foolish and darkened in my thinking and my mm-hmm. reasoning that there's nothing that could ever convince me. Mm-hmm. And I'm worried that that's where a lot of people are will get if we don't share these convictions with them and kind of wake them up to what is around them. I, yeah. I think maybe there are people, I have to believe that there are people who are willing to accept the evidence. They just, you know, we've been told for so long that everything around us is evidence of something else. Yeah. You know, the 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 field of science and all the, the laws and uh, things and the, the, the truths that we see around us are all evidence of something. What many people will say is that they're, you know, they've hijacked that evidence for their own purposes. But I think one of our important roles is to take that back and say, no, sir, no, ma'am, it does not prove what you're claiming. That belongs to God. Yeah. And we need to kind of take it back over for him. I like it. I like that. Now, we are, uh, that was the end of the first one, right? Yeah. So we're <laughs> one of six on six beliefs that you like to share with people for the the first time. Now, if you had uh, just a, a couple minutes, maybe you might kind of go through them like we did earlier. You you just listed off kind of the title and briefly explained it. But if they're going to sit and have coffee with you or the, you invite them over for dinner and they ask this question, you might have the chance to go through the scriptures. Sure. And that, that's exactly right. And, you know, when you state these things, some people are going to say, so what? You know, big deal. You believe this. But if someone is honest and willing to listen to your, or interested maybe I should say, and willing to listen to your response to these and what these things imply, um, you know, if God created me, and that means I have not only a creator, but a master. Mm-hmm. So I'm not the king of my world. Yeah, um, It tells me I'm not in charge and I have to make the choice to submit to his will. Right. So this first point might seem like it's all about something out there, but it really is about what, what am I going to do with it? Sure, sure. And it naturally leads to this next one. You, you ponder, wow, if God created me, um, and you start to kind of meditate on what that means, it, it kind of naturally goes to the next one of God loves me, right? That's right. You know, you can, we, we look at the, the power that it must have taken, which we can never understand. But the power that it must have taken to create all the energy that's out there, that's in mm-hmm. existence. Um, you know, that seems like it's just a, that, that's a daunting idea. And people think of it in terms of a cold, disconnected force that must exist out there. Because that's what they've been taught about where we came from. But all that power, if it were not controlled, it could only destroy. It has to be controlled and honed and a loving God is the only a loving creator is the only way that all that power can be out there and not destroy it can be organized and it can allow us to love allow us to share allow us to give and so uh, I think the simplest and clearest statement of who God is as a loving God in my mind uh, at least one comes from first John 4 uh, I believe it's verses 8 and 16, both that say the same uh, sentiment. He who does not love us as humans, whoever does not love does not know God, for God is love. Mm-hmm. I don't know of any other attribute 
of which it said that God is that attribute. It almost sounds grammatically wrong to say God is love because love is another thing. It's another, sure. we think of it as a feeling or whatever, but it doesn't say God is loving. Right. It says he is love. He is so loving in his uh, uh, purpose and in, in, in all that he is that it can be said that God equals love. Um, someone might really be into something. They have a hobby or it's their kind of the thing that everyone remembers them for as much as they are a part of that or interested in it. You can't say that they are that thing, right? Jonathan is carpentry. Jonathan is coffee, but you could say he loves those things. But when it comes to love, it's not a hobby that God has. It is who he is. Wow. And so that to me is the simplest way of boiling that, Sure. Down that God is love. Sure. Um, another aspect to this that I think it's important to remember is that we are the children of God. It doesn't say that God created stuff and he plays his cosmic board game and moves us around <laughs> where he wants. You know, we're not toys. We are his children. Right. And that is stated in a number of places in Scripture that we are the children of God, that he loves his children. But I'm, I think there's another step to that. Not only are we children that he didn't you know, necessarily want to have, but he adopted us. Mm-hmm. And when we become children of God, he is. it's as if he has reached out and hand chosen. He's gone to the orphanage. He's found the ugliest, most broken, most pathetic one there. And he said, I want that one wow. because they're, you know, they're wanting to come to me. And that's an emotional thing for me and maybe for a lot of people because we're all broken in some way. Mm-hmm. But the fact that God... Uh, you know, <laughs> there are those out there who have probably heard this phrase. Yeah, this is our oldest. This, is our, this one, though, was an accident. You know, <laughs> some people will refer to their children as an accident. And uh, for those of you kids out there who, <laughs> you know, whose parents call you an accident, I'm sure they still love you. But we are at the other end of the spectrum when it comes to God. We were not accidental children. Even if we accidentally came into this world by our you know, uh, physical parents' actions. We are chosen by God. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the Bible says that in Romans 8, 15, Galatians 4, 5, Ephesians 1, 5, all of these places emphasize that we are our children, that God loves and has chosen. And so what I'm taking from this listening is not only does God personify what love is, and so I'm, I, I see him as the creator, but it's, like you, you mentioned, it's not this chaotic creation, but one that's ordered and structured because of his love, that his love is extended through choice. That there's this, the closest thing we can relate to is adoption, and so he uses that word. But you also suggest that um, there is a proof of his love that it's not just he's going to tell it to you and tell it to you and, and you're just supposed to believe it, but he's actually uh, taken about or ordained a plan to provide evidence to the world of the love of God. Absolutely. He's given us tremendous evidence, really the best evidence he could ever give. We've already talked about how, well, we introduced it in our outline about you know Jesus being God. Jesus is God. God sent a part of himself to the earth a part of himself that was his son. 
He had always had fellowship and connection with him, and he sent, it, sent Jesus to this earth to die for us as a sacrifice. And the Bible says in uh, John 3.16, 1 John 3.16, both of these, uh, if, if you like remembering locations and numbers, knowing that's 1 John and the Gospel of John. But John 3.16 is the Bible verse that a lot of people know who don't know the Bible necessarily, right. but says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That is a statement of the main evidence for God's love for us. But 1 John 3.16 also says, By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us. Speaking about Jesus taking it upon himself to give himself for mm-hmm. us. And so there's abundant and beautiful and overwhelming evidence that God loves us because you don't make that kind of sacrifice of your son or of yourself, of your children or of yourself. Maybe I should say it in the other, or- in the other order. And to the parents out there, you don't sacrifice yourself that way and you don't sacrifice your children that way Right. if there's not something tremendous motivating you. Right. Something that in this situation is a part of who God is. God is love. So that's what caused him to make those sacrifices. So I'm listening to this as a outsider and suddenly I'm horrified. <laughs> right? Right. Because yeah. this is a God who loves me, but then this is a God who um you know, maybe I don't maybe fully appreciate what it means to be God, the the divine Godhead and how uh the father would preordain a plan for his son to come and die. So there there probably is some theology that is beyond this intro level uh-huh. study. But we're talking about that he laid down his life for us and suddenly I'm confused and uh, it seems like, then maybe I'm going on a stretch here, but it seems like it's not uh, for nothing that your third point is I need God. You're going from Jesus' sacrifice to now you have to explain that. Is that correct? There is an intentionality behind it? I think so. A segue, if nothing else, a connection. Uh, Because these first two sound pretty great. Wow, God created me. Cool. Uh, God loves me. Wow, even better. But those in themselves are kind of, uh, they're unimportant if we don't continue on helping people know what they need to know next. And this next one is not the happy part. It's the sad part. It's the, the sad reality of our situation is that we are imperfect beings. And whenever we sin, we make ourselves a slave of sin. And so this, this third one is that, you know, I, I've said it different ways, but said, uh, I'm a sinner, I'm a slave, and I need God. I'm a sinner who needs God. Mm-hmm. That takes it away, that, that takes it from who is God, what has he done, to who am I, and what have I done? And uh, Romans 5.12 tells us, it says, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sin. He's explaining there how sin came into the world. And some people will say, oh, well, see, genetically now, we're doomed to be sinners because uh, of what Adam did. Um, but I think what this is teaching is not that we are doomed to continue a, a, a fleshly father's physical mistakes, but it's saying he let sin in. And it's up to us whether we keep sin, in, you know, if we invite sin to stay. Right. Uh, and that we, we have a, a perfect track record of letting it stay. <laughs> ex- yeah, exactly. No one seems to be able to 
do it on their own. Well, and this concept of slavery, people think of, you know, America's brand of slavery that has, you know, happened. And it's not something that people were signing up for. I'll be a slave. Right. Of course. You know, that was something terrible that their lives were stolen from them. But imagine that that person did say, that's what's awaiting me. (laughs) Yeah, I'll take that. Yeah. I'll take that. We would think no one in the right mind would do that. And yet we are the ones who make ourselves a slave of sin. The, the, I guess, frightening part about it is that, you know, the, the lifestyle that comes with sin has this illusion of freedom and choice. And, uh, you, you know, it's, it's all about, uh, what's the phrase I hear people saying? Live your best life, dude. It's a, <laughs> like, th- that's what people think of yeah, as, as freedom. Right. But the, the, the tragic part of that is they can't see the puppet master in the background or they can't see, you know, their slave master just wringing his hands like, can't wait mm-hmm. until I get my hands on you because uh, they just don't see that. They think it's freedom. And the reality of this is that, you know, what the Bible teaches, uh, sorry, I've, I've gotten away from my notes. I've got scribblings everywhere. Oh, but, that happens every episode. Don't worry. <laughs> but um, the Bible says that whoever you submit yourself to as slaves to obey, you are that one right. slave whom you obey. Right. We are actively obeying either God or we're obeying the devil. It just looks different. Sure. Obeying God is a, we recognize our um, submission to a master and a father. But when serving the devil, we're not recognizing that same submission. We're thinking we're free. Sure. Um, so it's either loving a master who is waiting to bring you into torment and death with him, or it's loving a master who loves you and is wanting to preserve your life and, and protect you. So, uh, John eight thirty four says, uh, Jesus answered them, Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. There's a, a scary reality there and a rule that Jesus is stating, um, just like the natural laws of this world, you know, the law of gravity, the law of conservation of energy, all these things, these are natural laws put in place. And Jesus is stating a law here. He says, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin, whether we know it or not. You or I, when we commit sin, I am signing up for that slavery. Right. And I'm saying, yeah, sounds great. A life of death and suffering and not being in control of my own <laughs> destiny. Sign me up. Now, we're saying that kind of maybe tongue in cheek. Some people, I believe, don't know. And, you know, we read in, in Jude about the distinction between, you know, saving someone, helping to rescue and save someone who doesn't really understand the situation they put themselves in. And someone who does know, you mm-hmm. know, there's, a, you know, saving them as it were from the fire. Right, right. But there's still, um, I think we need to make it clear to people that, no, no, what you think is freedom is actually, that's slavery too. Right. It's all slavery of some kind. I guess my natural thought um, as this person who's never heard the gospel before, I, the audience may be confused in my mind, it makes sense because I keep going back and forth between that person and then also the host of the this program. As the host of the program, um, when I lived in Cambodia, I had conversations with people where they would say, well, Jesus is the white God. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, he takes care of white people and their problems. Uh-huh. And Buddha is the brown God and he takes care of brown people and their problems. So when I hear you talk about sin, that's a, that's a white problem or a Christian problem because uh-huh. I know people in the States, it's not just a, a 
color of skin issue. Over there, I was white, so that was what they saw. Um, so, you know, maybe we could branch it out a little bit by saying that it's a, Jesus is the Christian God, and therefore Christians have a sin problem, and Buddha's for the Buddhists, and we don't have that sin problem. Right. So uh, that's what I, I had conversations about that. So now let me switch hats, and I'm putting that hat on, and I'm telling you that, Bradley. We're sitting there, and you're telling me that I need God, but I've never sinned. I don't know what sin is. I haven't broken these laws because I don't know what they are. Mm-hmm. So why would God hold me accountable? Why did why would this God hold me accountable? And I don't even serve him, and I don't even, you know, I haven't signed up for this. I would probably say... Can we meet? <laughs> how many more? <laughs> how many more cups of coffee are we going to drink today? Um, no, just like Jesus states, you know, the the law we just said that that Jesus states about someone being a slave of sin by committing sin. Um, he also says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Mm-hmm. And so we are all in the same boat. And you know that very very likely when you when you speak, you say, well, Jesus says they might say, well. Who is this Jesus to say anyway? You know, why should I listen? Well, that's actually why our first study that we prepared with our materials was what is the Bible? Right. You know, okay. because you've got to you've got to build and we took at least two studies explaining what the Bible is and different things because you've got to give people a reason to even read it in the first place. Or yeah. trust this source, like you said. It's a Christian relic. You know, why would I listen or care or change my life based on it? Um but anyway, the, you know, if you hold these things to be true, and if you're convicted that what Jesus teaches and what the Bible says are in fact true, then you have to recognize these things pertain to me. And you know, we started this out. I said it was going to be about me, and and my I all that. You know, God loves me. That sounds great. You know, He created me. That sounds great. But I need Him, and I have sinned. Those are not fun I me statements. Mm-hmm. Those are the types of what statements that we usually want to put off on someone else. Oh, look what they made me do. Yeah. You know, or look yeah. at what happened to me because of them. But this is all on me. And that's why this third point is not a fun one to discuss. But it's vital for us to own up to it, I think, if, if we're ever going to be taken seriously. And right. if the gospel is ever going right. to be taken seriously. Um, so... You know, people, we, we've already kind of told people what, what's coming next. And if there's a segue verse that I think serves the purpose of going from I need God to talking about Jesus, it's Romans 6, 6. It says, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. This is a terrible situation we find ourselves in, being slaves of sin. And yet we've done it to ourselves. But... There is a way that we can be freed from that sin. Mm-hmm. When we talk about slavery, that you know, slaves were not in charge of you know, their contracts. That wasn't something they got to enjoy. They, that was just the life to which they had been doomed. You know, however short it might be, because of the terrible circumstances. Uh, but there is hope for us to be freed of this sin. And that brings us to the next thing that I think is vital for us to share with people, and that is that Jesus is God. Yeah, I want to uh, I want to add something that I think will will help 
some some who are curious about some of the questions I asked earlier. And uh, what a great segue, by the way, to this Jesus is God, the fourth one. Um, if you've done any sort of comparative religion, uh, maybe folks out there have, and maybe I'm not sure if they have or have not, but if you're if you're honest with the source, I'm not sure there is a religion that really is as open-minded as you think it is. Typically, it is people who are postmodern, who are looking at it beyond religion, that try to make them all as though they're tolerant of each other. But I can tell you in all of the Buddhist texts that I've read that it is quite an exclusive faith, that the Buddha would never have said, um, I'll be the, the God for Buddhists and Jesus can be the God for Christians. If you were to study Islam, it's not just for Muslims in the ethnic sense of the word. Mm-hmm. And, and it's the same. any of these major figures always were speaking in universal terms where they wanted all the followers right. and they had the way. Uh-huh. And so the, the fact that Christianity kind of gets a black eye for speaking in such universal concepts that Jesus is the way, the truth, the life, that this is God's plan, this is the way, and we want everybody in it. They all say it. We just have to determine which one is true. Uh-huh. Now, there's a great book. I'm keep looking up here, seeing if I can locate the title of it. Um, I can't. I think it's a handbook of worldviews, and I think the author, uh, who is Frank Turk's mentor? Do you happen to remember Norm, uh, Norman? I'm gonna say Norman Oswell. Oswell, that was from Spider Man. <laughs> uh, shoot, Norman Geisler. Geisler. I think Geisler's his name. Anyway, he he, uh, great book. It was the best book I read as I prepared to move to Cambodia. But it was an overview of all the major worldviews, and one of the concluding things was that that no two can be true because they're mutually exclusive. Like uh-huh. it can't be, or white cannot be black and black cannot be white. And maybe people who are into colors and science would be, actually I can prove. <laughs> but the, the point is that if Christianity is true, therefore the others are not. And if Buddhism is true, therefore the others are not. So uh, when somebody says, well, you know, I don't need God because the Buddha is the God of this. And we would, we challenge them to say, did the Buddha say that? What did the Buddha say? And again, uh, I think you answered with how much coffee can we have? You know, this is not a, a 10 minute conversation. But I, I did want to share that. Now, um, you have to get us on track. We've talked about how we need God. And so suddenly there's this shift from this happy feeling to the sense of urgency that, oh, I didn't know I had a problem. Now we're talking we're going to talk about the answer. You you've presented it that Jesus is the answer, but maybe I need to know, well, why is he the answer? What makes him so special that I couldn't do it myself? Well, we're going to stop right there. I can't help but make it a cliffhanger one more time. And we're going to break this into a third part. So you need to come back next week if you want to figure out what the final three in the What I Believe discussion are all about. If you haven't already, I'd really like for you to subscribe to the podcast. It gets the episodes to you automatically whenever they come out, and so you don't have to worry about searching for the latest episode. It comes to your phone automatically. If not, you can go to the website at www.pureandsimplebible.com backslash podcast, and you can find all of the episodes there and research them in the library for the different topics that you'd like to hear about. 
And so, PSB listener and friend, I want to ask one more thing of you to do before I go. Would you please take a moment and leave a five-star review on your podcast app for Pure and Simple Bible? The analytics of those reviews really help drive the podcast higher on the apps. And so when people search for Bible podcasts or Christian podcasts, the more that people leave good reviews, the higher it's going to get and it's going to increase the audience and that helps us share the gospel. So please, I need your help. If you can do your part, take two minutes and leave that five-star review. It would be very helpful and I'd be so thankful for you to do it. So thank you in advance. And for those who've already done so, thank you very much for your support. I'll always end with a reminder. Please go to the website, pureandsimplebible.com. Check out all the resources that are there for you to use and download absolutely free. Until next week, this is Jonathan Edwards. Always remember, God loves you very much, and I do too. Lord willing, see you soon. Well, I'm here to tell you a story, a story that is true. About a judge by the name of Gideon, he was a man like me and you. Well, his rules in some trouble.